Alright, so we are in Hebrews chapter 2, and last week when I was preaching, I had mentioned, uh, we were talking about baptism, and I mentioned something that uh, I had seen about Jesus in the wilderness, but uh, I was hoping to be preaching on but I had to do some studying on it. Well, I did some studying on it, and uh, not only did what I think I saw, was it there, but it was there way more than I realized it was. And so I'm really excited about this message. If, if you can get a hold of this great truth, it's going to clear a lot of stuff up when it comes to many things that people are confused about in the Scriptures. And before I get into this, I just want to say once again that dispensationalism has done more to just mess up teaching in Baptist churches than I think just anything. I mean, only eternity will tell how much damage has been done and how much of a roadblock it has been to people moving forward in their study. And the more I get it out of my system, the more clear the Bible is. And it's just amazing the things that are there so clearly to behold. And I want you to notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And, this is, and so this is talking about Jesus. He was made a little over the angels. And Jesus, it became Him. It had to be Him who, uh, for whom all things are for. All things are for Christ. All things too come from Christ. And it was absolutely necessary. It became Him to suffer the way He did. It goes, look what it says in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death might destroy uh, him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Which is talking about Israel. They were in bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So, remember, Jesus, obviously the, the work of the removing of sin was done on the cross. But in the, the gospel, it's the entire story of Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus did in his lifetime was necessary for our, salva- our salvation including one of the things we're going to see is his temptation in the wilderness. And it's saying right here in Hebrews that it was that it behooved him to be made like his brethren. If he's going to make reconciliation for what they did, it's like he's got to make up for what they did wrong. And so what we're about to see here is that the temptation that Jesus suffered, and this is what I thought I saw when I read this passage. It goes on and it says in verse 18, for that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. And so when it talks about his temptation, I don't know, when I was reading it, I realized, wait a minute, this is referring to his temptation in the wilderness. And it says that he was doing this, this was him being like his brethren. What I thought I saw from here, and it's there, is that Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, this was him taking the test that Israel had taken when they came out of Egypt and they failed. 
So it was like for Israel to do what needs to be done, a test needs to be passed, but they didn't pass it. And so I'm here today to tell you that Jesus who descended from Israel, when he came, God had him take the test and he passed it on their behalf. And so I want you to notice this. And that means a lot. That means something very important that we need to understand because I've always, a lot of people will associate the temptation like when he was in the garden, when he's sweating great drops of blood and going to the cross. But no, this is referring to the trial that I believe Jesus went through so he could become the Messiah. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is where Jesus led up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And I want us, we're going to look at two very similar stories but with two very different outcomes. Because understand, God has always been looking for a people to fellowship with. And we all understand now, this is crystal clear, flesh and blood cannot enter in the kingdom of God. Now, why can't flesh and blood enter the kingdom of God? Well, because it's corruptible. We're born of corruptible seed. We, we have that sin of Adam that's on us. And so we must be born again. And so in order to teach us how flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. To teach us that we must be born again. To teach us that we cannot be saved by the things of the law. That we must be saved by Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us stories, two stories of a people. The first people, they were a people of the flesh called Israel. Okay? They were a people of the flesh called Israel. A people who went into Egypt but a people who God brought out of Egypt. So the story of Israel is a story of a people who went into Egypt and God miraculously brought them out of Egypt. Don't forget that. Keep keep that in mind. And so the second story we're going to look at too is the story about an individual named Jesus who was of the Spirit. And when we look at Israel, I want you to think of the flesh. I want you to think of the works of the law. When we look at Jesus, I want you to think of the Spirit and of His work what he did as an individual, because the outcomes of these stories are completely different while many things will be the same. So the first thing, actually turn to Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 16, we have the baptism of Jesus. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Watch this. This, this verse is more significant than I realized. Listen to this. And, a, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? Keep, we all know that phrase. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What did God say after Jesus got baptized? He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I have well pleased. In first, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So understand that children of Israel crossing that Red Sea, that was a picture of baptism. And Paul said they were baptized in the sea. It was a picture of baptism. It was God separating them, God taking them out of Egypt and separating them to himself. And it says, and they did all eat the same spiritual meat, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But look what it says next. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. 
Notice what God said about Israel after they came through the after they were baptized. God said, "I'm not well pleased." When Jesus was baptized, God said, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." So notice the contrast there. So we have Jesus being baptized. We have Israel being baptized. God says, "I'm well pleased with Jesus. I'm not well pleased with Israel." So it says with many. Well, there's only two. The only ones he wasn't that he was pleased with was Moses. And, and not even completely because Moses didn't get out of the wilderness, but Joshua and Caleb. That was it. They were the only ones that got to go into the promised land. But the rest of them, they died in the wilderness. So let's not forget that. So, we have the baptism. And so notice, Jesus, understand, He was the true Israel. While God was going to do something, while God had a plan for those people that He brought out of Egypt, understand God was not well pleased with those people, but God was well pleased with Jesus Christ. God cannot fulfill all things through Israel. He was not pleased with them, but He does fulfill all things through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the one who also came out of Egypt. And we're going to look at that passage in a little bit. Jesus is also one who got baptized. And just like after Israel was baptized, they got tempted in the wilderness. Jesus, after he got baptized, he got tempted in the wilderness. Look what it says in Matthew 4, 2. So this is after he goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. Anybody think the children of Israel went more than 40 days and 40 nights without food? Do you think they got as hungry as Jesus? No. Okay, I'm sure they got hungry. They never got as hungry as Jesus. Jesus got hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Okay, now that's a good verse right there. But you know what? He picked that one for a very specific reason. Let's go back and look at that passage. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. So Jesus, what he does here, he overcomes the desires of the flesh and he obeys the Word of God. Jesus did not listen to the devil when the devil tried to tell him what to do, and he listened to the Word of God. He quoted Scripture to him, and he's like, man does not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.1 All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep His commandments or no. God put them through the wilderness to see if they would keep His commandments. God put Jesus through the wilderness to see if He would keep His commandments. Jesus kept the commandments. Did Israel keep the commandments? No, they did not. Let's keep reading. And He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. God allowed Israel to get hungry. Why? Because He was going to see if they would keep His commandments. God let Jesus get hungry. Why? To see if He would keep His commandments. It says, And uh, and He fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that that ye might know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord our God doth man live. So, notice... When Jesus is being tempted, just like Israel was tempted, Jesus went to the Word of God that God said to the people, I, I, pro- I, I went to prove you. I suffered you to hunger to see if you would obey my commandments so you could learn. Man does not live by bread alone. But Israel didn't learn that, did they? 
But you know who did know that? Jesus did learn that. And Jesus quoted that to the devil. And, and so there are, there are many examples of what Israel did when they were tempted. There's a lot. Let's look at one though. Let's look at one key passage. Numbers 14 and verse 20. Numbers 14 verse 20 says, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. So because Israel... Not only did they not do the right when they were tempted, they turned around and they tempted God. And, Bible, and God said, they did it ten times to me. And because of that, they are not going to the land. That generation is all going to die in the wilderness. So, we have in the story of Jesus and Israel, we have a baptism. We have one that God is well pleased with. We have one God is not well pleased with. We have Jesus when He goes in the wilderness to be tempted. He passes the first test. Israel failed the test. They didn't, they didn't learn. Both things were a test. Because God's, God's going to do something. It's kind of like, like a trial, okay? Imagine if we were wanting to pick somebody to like represent our church in a marathon. What, what, so something we might do, if we have multiple people that want to do it, we might have them do their own race to see who can handle it. God wants to bring salvation to the world. God wants, wants to do many great things in our world. And so it's like God gave Israel a chance. They failed. Jesus came along and he steps up and he's the one that's getting it done right. So notice now in Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, we're going to see another temptation. It says, Then the devil taketh them up into the holy city and setteth them on the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God... Cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at the verse that Jesus quoted right there. So basically, uh, you know, again, because what we're going to see when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and he goes to the scriptures, he keeps going back to scriptures from Israel when they were in the wilderness. Because this is connected. And in Deuteronomy 6.16, it says, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Okay? Now turn over to Exodus chapter 17. Let's go back and look at that story. So that quote that Jesus brought up when he's being tempted of the devil... When the, devil, when the devil takes him to the pinnacle of a temple and tells him to jump off, okay? when, when he does this, Jesus goes to the scripture in Deuteronomy that was in reference to their disobedience when they tempted God. They tempted Israel, tempted God in Massa. Exodus 17.1, it says, And in all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? 
And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And notice that Israel did not have the faith that God would take care of them. And their calls for deliverance from their thirst, those were not calls in faith, but those were calls in a provocative way. They were trying to force God to prove himself so they would be obedient. It's like, you want us to obey you? Then you give us water. Otherwise, we're going back to Egypt. That's, that's not how we're supposed to pray to God. That's not how we're supposed to go to God. And he's all, oh, I'll serve you if you do this for me. You know what? You're tempting God when you do that. We have no right to tempt God. It is a sin to tempt God. And it's like they were trying to get obedience out of God, but God wanted to get obedience out of them. We have no right to go around demanding things of God. And so the devil, when he's trying to get Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, which is a fool, would be a foolish thing to do, he even tried using scriptures. He'll give his angels charge concerning thee, and they'll bear thee up if thou ever dash, if thou dash thy foot against a stone. That would be tempting God. That's Jesus doing something foolish, trying to get God to do something. We shouldn't do that kind of thing. Okay? I don't believe in tempting God. Okay? It's kind of like missionaries at every Faith Promise Missions Conference where they teach you to tempt God by give more than you can afford. You know, then God's got to do something. That's called tempting God. We're not, we're not supposed to do that. We don't, we, don't, we don't encourage that kind of thing here. But they'll, they'll often do that. But, so again, we have two different temptations the devil's try to get out of Jesus. Both times, he quotes scriptures that were rebukes to Israel for them giving in to those same temptations. In the wilderness. Because again, Israel failed in the wilderness. Jesus is succeeding in the wilderness. And he has to do this so he can be the Messiah. He's got to do this so he can be a faithful high priest. This is him being tempted in all points, like as we, Israel, are, yet without sin. When he said he was tempted in all points like as we are, we often apply that as an individual. And I don't think it's wrong to do that. But ultimately what the writer of Hebrews is saying Hey, Jesus was tempted in all points like we as a nation were in the wilderness. But unlike us, He didn't sin. There was no sin in Him. And it was necessary for Him to do this because we didn't get it done. Israel did not do any of the things that God told them to do. Jesus did everything God told them to do. God was not well pleased with Israel. God was well pleased with Jesus Christ. And so keep, keep all this in mind. So now go to Matthew 4, verse 8. Let's look at the third temptation the devil does. And it says, And again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto them, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, and ministered unto him. So what scripture is this that Jesus was referring to? Well, in Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shall swear by his name. And then you know what it goes on to say after that? 
ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from out the face of the earth. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God as he tempted him in Massa. So what we often associate that, that final temptation with Jesus, we often associate that with riches. He tempted him with riches. No, what he was tempting him with was worshiping the devil. And you know what? It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. God is the only one that we should serve. He is the only one that we should worship. And so right what we just saw here is Jesus again does not give in to the temptation. He does not worship the devil. And so understand Jesus succeeded where Israel had failed. Can anybody remember what Israel did when they were encouraged to serve other gods? They made a golden calf. So, understand, there was a huge difference. When Jesus was tempted, He quoted Scripture. I'm not worshiping you, Satan. We only worship God. Him only do we serve. Israel, when they got tempted because Moses was gone for a while, what do they do? They make a golden calf. So, Israel failed in the wilderness. Israel absolutely, utterly failed in the wilderness. So, Jesus, when He came... First thing he did after he was baptized, he went to be tempted in the wilderness. He is about to begin his ministry and his ministry is him fulfilling everything Israel failed to do. Because, folks, there are so many prophecies that were in the Old Testament that need to come to pass, but the Old Testament prophecies absolutely cannot come to pass through Israel. They broke God's covenant. They did too many things wrong. Jesus replaced Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is where fulfillment. The first Israel failed. The second succeeded. Hebrews 4.15 That's why it says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This is a reference to the temptation in the wilderness. All the areas where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. The story of Israel is a story of failure, one failure after another. God miraculously preserved Israel because of the promised seed that would come. But God was not well pleased with Israel. And you think about even just when they, when they came out of the wilderness, because remember, what happened when they, when they came out of the wilderness? It said in 1 Corinthians 10, God was not well pleased with them. Does anybody remember what happened when God came down on the mountain? God said, if any of them touch it, kill him." You know why? Because God was not well pleased with them. God was not... Folks, that is not a coincidence. When Paul understood this, Paul understood the significance of what God said when Jesus was baptized and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Because Paul understood God was not well pleased with Israel. God was well pleased with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is where all things are fulfilled. And so what happened to the first Israel in the wilderness? Well, Hebrews 3, in verse 7, and remember, he, the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Jews at that day, showing them they need to follow Christ. That's what, it's, that's what Hebrews is all about. Everybody assumes this is written to a church. Okay? No, this is written to Jewish, and I'm sure there were many believers, but... Uh, there were there were probably many who were kind of on the fence that weren't sure yet. This is writing to Jews. 
letting them know they need to follow Christ. So Hebrews 3, 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Okay, The day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, folks, you got, we've got to get a hold of this right here. Because first off, too, that passage he just quoted there is in Psalms. We're not going to take time to read it. It's in Psalms 95, 8 through 11. He's, quote, he's quoting Psalms right there. But he, tell, he told those people that erred in their hearts, that did not know his ways, he said, they will not enter into my rest. What happened to that generation that was faithless, that failed in the wilderness? They did not get to go into the promised land. And you know what the writer of Hebrews is saying right here? Those who will not believe on Christ, they will not enter into my rest. This is their time. This is, this is their chance. This Jesus Christ coming and dying as the Messiah, this is God fulfilling the promises to Israel. This is God fulfilling the promises of deliverance. This is God fulfilling the promises of a gathering, of, of, the, of the uniting of the two sticks together. All these things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They're, they're all fulfilled in Him. The fulfilling of the land promises and all that. These, these things are not going to be done by something that the UN does, did in 1948 or something that we do anytime in the future. There's a new Jerusalem that's coming. There's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. All things are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Turn over to John chapter 6 and verse 47. Notice what Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread... He shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So, the story of Israel in the Old Testament is a story of failure. It's a story of sin. It's a story of death. Folks, every, every era in Israel's history, look at the way things end. You know, when they came out of Egypt, the wilderness is a terrible story. None of them entered into his rest. They go into the promised land. They have one generation that does good. God wants them doing good as a people. God's trying to establish a forever kingdom with them. But what happens when we get to the book of Judges? The book of Judges is hundreds of years of them going into idolatry, committing abominations. And then we enter into a new era where they have kings. And you know, and it started out terrible with Saul. Went pretty good for a while with David and Solomon. But then what immediately happened after Solomon? The kingdom splits. They go into idolatry. Every story of Israel ends with them in idolatry, with failure. They finally, they go into the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. God miraculously restores them to the land again, gives them the land. They rebuild their temple. What happens? They go right back into idolatry. <clears throat> they go right back into rebellion. And then finally, finally, where we're going to see all things fulfilled is when someone from the line of Joseph or from the line of David, of Joseph and Mary, 
is born, Jesus Christ, and then he goes. And he succeeds everywhere where Israel failed. Everywhere. So now think, now think about this. We understand this concept. Okay? When it comes to the people of God, okay, the line, it starts with Abraham and then it goes to Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac was the seed of promise. Not everyone that descended from Abraham. It was Isaac. When we have Isaac, it's not everyone that descends from Isaac. It's Jacob, not Esau. When we have Jacob, God changes his name to Israel. But understand, not everyone that descends from Israel are the people of God. But somebody did descend from Israel who the promise went to, who was the heir. There was a very special blessing that God gave Abraham that Abraham passed to Isaac and he didn't give to Ishmael. Isaac passed that to Jacob. He didn't give it to Esau. And understand that blessing, the heir of all things, was one who did descend from there, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the promises to Israel are all fulfilled, but they're all fulfilled through those who are in Christ. Hebrews also takes the time to explain how that one-time sacrifice of Christ, it covers the many that were before Christ who were of faith, like Abraham, and all those after who will be of faith. So being in Christ, it's not something that started after Christ or with the people who come after Christ. It also included all the people who were of faith before Christ. So I say all this to show you that the fulfillment of everything that is promised in the Bible comes through Jesus Christ, not an ethnicity. The ethnicity failed. Their story is one of failure nonstop. And so look at what it says in Hebrews 11. Okay, Hebrews 11, I referenced this earlier because again, something else. You know, one of the books I'm thinking about going through again, or I've not gone through it, or I'm thinking about going through it on Wednesdays, is the book of Matthew because I'm, I'm noticing more and more too. Folks, we're only scr- I'm only scratching the surface. There are a ton of parallels between Jesus and Israel in the book of Matthew. And Matthew... It's, it's like I'm, I'm noticing is like purposefully specifying these things. And people are always like, well, Matthew is written to the Jews. I know because the Jews needed to figure out that the promises are going to be claimed through Jesus, not through you. Jesus is where these things come from. But Hosea 1 1 says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Let me ask you a question. Is this verse about Israel or about Jesus? Well, Actually, yes and no. Because check this out. Look at verse 2. And they called him, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. But they knew not that I healed them. So that's not about Jesus. So what's, what's going on here? Out of Egypt have I called my son. There in Hosea, he's... He's, he goes on to explain Israel. So, here's the thing. Okay, Matthew 2.14, it says, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So, wait a minute. So, it was Jesus. Okay? So, notice what it says. That it might be fulfilled. Obviously, Jesus fulfilled verse 1, not verses 2 and 3. Okay? Verses 2 and 3 was about what Israel did, 
But understand the, what God wanted to accomplish in calling His Son out of Egypt. God did not accomplish that through Israel. He accomplished it through Jesus. So in reality, okay, in reality, and, and don't take this the wrong way, in reality, there aren't dual fulfillments. Okay, in, in reality, we do have dual stories like Israel in the wilderness and Jesus in the wilderness. But what God wanted to accomplish or fulfill was not fulfilled with Israel in the wilderness. The story of Israel in the wilderness, there's no fulfillment there. There's failure there. But the story of Jesus in the wilderness, there is fulfillment there. So in reality, Jesus is the fulfillment of Hosea 11.1 because Israel did not fulfill what God wanted to accomplish. And so you could say the same thing too. When we get to things like Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse, Without a doubt, that's a prophecy that it's, it's focused on that generation. It specifies that generation. But you say, but you know, these things weren't fulfilled. I, I know. I know. But it is the same story. Because we have the story of Israel when tribulation comes. And guess how that one ends? In failure. So what about fulfillment? Well, we will we'll see that story again in the future that will end, that will then it will be fulfilled through the church. Why? Not because we're so much better than Israel, because we're in Christ. So, so in reality, in reality, I don't think dual fulfillment, you know, it, it, it kind of sends the wrong message. It's like, well, we had a fulfillment. No, it didn't, it didn't get fulfilled. Okay? What, 70 AD with Jerusalem being destroyed was not fulfillment of Jesus coming in the clouds with power and great glory and gathering together his elect and all that kind of all that stuff. That was not a fulfillment. That was the same story. But that was Israel's story. That was Israel's story and it ended in death and major bloodshed. But what we're looking for, we're looking for the fulfillment of things in Matthew 24 and they will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ and through those who are in Christ. So the preterists are right when they say that prophecy was about that generation just like they would be right if they said Hosea 11 was about Israel. But fulfillment of Hosea 11 was done through Jesus Christ and fulfillment of Matthew 24 will be done through Jesus Christ and it will be done in the future through those who are in Christ. 70 AD was a major failure on Israel's part. Not on God's part, on Israel's part. And so Israel coming out of Egypt did not bring, it did not bring righteousness to the world. Jesus did. Jesus was the fulfillment. Jesus is the one who brought righteousness. There are so many prophecies. I mean, I mean, just my, my mind is just flooded with prophecies that God gave to Israel when they're saying, you know, that there's going to be ten men out of every nation that taketh hold on the skirt of him that is Jew, saying, we have heard the Lord is with you. That never happened with them. That was not fulfilled with them and it never will be fulfilled with them. And we've got people out there today, thanks to dispensationalism, no, this has to be fulfilled through this ethnic group. No, it didn't get fulfilled. It's been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is where the fulfillment is. Israel could not bring righteousness into the world. You know why? Because they're corruptible seed. And we are corruptible seed by ourselves with our flesh and blood. That's why we have to be born again. And so you can make this application with many prophecies, every positive prophecy about Israel 
ended in failure, while all the prophecies will find their fulfillment through the true Israel, Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to get a hold of. And so all the Bible, all of the Bible, ultimately is about Jesus. Yes, we can look at these stories of Israel in the wilderness. And, and those, are, those are sad stories. They're frustrating stories. My whole life, I remember as a kid, the first time I was reading through the Bible and I got into Judges and, it just got, and again, Israel sinned. And it would just make me mad. And again, Israel sinned. And I remember when I would start reading through the kings and I was always glad, it would make me happy when I would see a king and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But most of the kings, he did not do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. It was just sin, sin, sin. And folks, that's our life too. That's our life without Christ. Our life, failure. Our life, sin. Our life, destruction. We mess up. Every, that, that's why we preach so hard against work salvation. That's why we preach so hard against earning your own righteousness. This plan of salvation that we preach, it's not a, a, a new salvation for this dispensation. This is how salvation has always been. All things have always been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. If we would have gone in the wilderness, we would have failed. We would have messed up. Every single one of us, did you know, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's how they got Eve. That's how Satan tried to get Jesus and didn't get him. And that's how he gets us every time. We've all been nailed with every one of those things, just like Israel. But Jesus didn't. So Jesus can be our high priest too because we've all had our own wildernesses that we've gone through. And we've all, we've all failed at the same time. But you know what we do? We profess Jesus Christ. We get baptized pointing to Jesus Christ because we remember what God said about Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You want to identify yourself with the works of the law? You're going to be identifying yourself with Israel. And you know what God's going to say about you? I'm not well pleased. We cannot please God with our works, Jesus is the focal point of all things. He's not just a new character that came along for this new dispensation. No, He is what it's always been about. And so these stories, as we read them in the Bible, it's sending us a message. Man's failure. Man's sinful. Jesus. He is where we've got to go to. Jesus is where righteousness is. The Son of God. We need, must have faith in Him. And notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, and I'll quit with this says, unto Him, talking about Jesus, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I just heard some preachers recently saying, when this church age comes to an end and God's going to go back to dealing with Israel. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. God's not... Folks, they already went through the wilderness and it didn't work out. Jesus went through the wilderness and he got it right. So what what are we why are we waiting for God to do something with Israel again? God already Israel already had their chance and someone from Israel named Jesus came and he did all those things. Those things are done. People have got to stop looking at Israel and so Jesus gets glory. He gets glory for the past dispensations for lack of a better term. He gets he gets and he gets glory in this age. He gets glory throughout all ages. World, okay, and understand that word world, it's referring to an age, an era. World without end. Folks, there is no end to this age we're in. We are in the age of Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come. He has been revealed. Righteousness has come into the world by Him. We're just waiting for Him to show back up and 
and get rid of the devil and get rid of the sin, sorrow, and crying. That's what we're waiting for him to come back right now. And when he comes back, it's going to be done. He is not going to come back and then go back to dealing with Israel. That is absolutely 100% false biblically. And every time somebody goes and tries to pull something out of the Old Testament and say, God's got to fulfill this with Israel. No. The things of the Old Testament are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That's how they are fulfilled. That's why there's not going to be an Ezekiel temple, folks. There's not an Ezekiel temple coming. You know why? Because Jesus fulfilled the things of the Ezekiel temple in the temple that was that they destroyed and that he raised up in three days. And I, I shouldn't mention this because I was just I was I was pondering this this morning and I realized have you ever have, have you ever thought about what do they call it? What is it called theologically when Jesus went through the temple and drove the people out? What do they call that? They call it the cleansing of the temple. Right? They, they call it the cleansing of the temple. Did you know that that cleansing of the temple, because there was, there was prophecy about Him coming and entering into the temple and His glory was going to fill the temple and all, all these great things He was going to do. Do you, you want to know what the cleansing, I believe the cleansing of the temple is? I believe it was when, because they would go into the temple and that's where they would offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people and all, all those things. Folks, Jesus did all of that in his body on the cross. He carried our sins and he died and was buried and he was dead for three days, suffering the death of a sinner. And then you know what he did? He raised that temple up after three days. The cleansing of the temple is what Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection. And He brought salvation and righteousness through that. Now, why would He ever bring back another temple made with hands? That's done. And, and, and really, no, that has to be fulfilled. It was fulfilled. The, the prophecies about the temple were fulfilled, but through the body of Christ. And I'm telling you, the Gospels, the book of Matthew... It is, it's, a, it's another story of the history of Israel. The Old Testament is a story of the history of Israel and it's a horrible history. The story uh, in the Gospel, it's, it's the next story of Israel, but it's the true Israel of Jesus Christ. All things are fulfilled in Him and all that is out there today calling themselves Israel while denying Jesus Christ, they are nothing more than Antichrist. That's all they are. They are not connected to the Israel of the Old Testament. And we do not support it. We do not support it. It is not of God. It is of Satan. The things that they are waiting to see fulfilled have been done through Jesus Christ. And it's high time we get a hold of that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank You so much for this wonderful truth in Your Word. And I pray, Lord, You'll help us to uh, just get this message out there. Lord, I pray that more people uh, will, when they read their Bible, they will just see You in every page as you are, and that they will stop going to the Bible to try to prove their theology, but they'll go to the Bible to get their theology. And I pray that you'll uh, just help us to be thankful for what you have fulfilled, for what you have accomplished. And uh, we thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.